Welcome to A Creative Affair. You're with Len Metcalf and Bree Stockwell this morning or this evening, depending where you are. And today we have a, a special guest, Aaron Martinez. And uh, it's so wonderful to have you here. And uh, um, actually, I, I'm going to throw straight over to Bree because uh, uh, they have a, a lot, much longer friendship. And uh, I want to know who you are, Aaron, but um, what, Bri, why don't you introduce us? <laughs> I'm going to do it because we'll let Aaron talk about himself. But here, for, here's what I first want to say. So um, I met Aaron, when did I meet you? A cu- like a year and a half year. ago? Or yeah, last year. Anyway, it hasn't been that long. I mean, I haven't been doing photography for that long even, so it can't be, it's got to be within the past two years. Um, so anyway, but Aaron moved here to Austin from El Paso and um, he works at the Austin American Statesman paper and we will, uh, we'll let, we'll, Aaron, we'll let you talk about that. But here's the, here's what I want to say is, I think I have watched Aaron's work grow over the past year and it just keeps getting better and better. Um, and it's been my privilege to, uh, to have a friendship with you, Aaron, but also like, also I love that we've become friends and that, um, we can just get together and share work with each other. I really think that if you out there don't have someone that you can share your work with in real life, that's really important. So, um, that's one thing that I really appreciate about, you know, having some, at least one person around that <laughs> we can share, share work with. In fact, even today, uh, I got my lens journal, Len, that has my work in it. <laughs> oh, how Yay! exciting. You must be over the moon to see I that. Am, I well. am. And I barely peeked at it last night and I handed it to Aaron. I'm like, Aaron, look at this, open it, check it out. Anyway. <laughs> I forced it on him, but, um, anyway, so Aaron, give us a little background uh, and I'll tell everyone what we're going to talk about in a minute, but give us a little background about you and about what you love in your work. And then also what you love in your, like in your paid work, but also what you love in your personal work. Okay. Well, I just start with a brief intro to myself then I guess is, uh, I, I work at the Austin American Statesman uh, newspaper in Austin, Texas, one of the, the largest papers in the USA Today network. I've only been here for you know just under two years, and shortly after I moved here, I met Bree. And uh, you know, I guess what do I love about my work the most? Oddly enough, I'm a, an extreme introvert, so don't generally like people, crowds, group settings, whatever. But for some reason, um, when it comes to my job, meeting people is kind of the the best part of it for me and you know getting to photograph interesting people meet interesting people on a daily basis that's that's really what attracted me to this career despite being a huge introvert <laughs> and my personal work is you know primarily nature photography night photography stuff like that it's purely a hobby something i do on the side for my own entertainment not for anyone else it's just um you know, a, a good excuse to be outdoors at the very least. I love that. And it's true. It is a good reason to get outdoors. And I guess that's how we met is because of landscape photography. Cause I don't know if you were in the purely only in the photojournalism world that we, our paths would have ever totally crossed, you know? So awesome. Today we're going to talk about 
the decisive moment. So the decisive moment, (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of a term coined by Henri Cartier-Bresson, right? Who, uh, he has a book called the decisive moment and, um, actually the book, I don't own that book. It's really expensive. I can hear Momo. (laughs) Hi, Momo. My, (laughs) if my son comes home, you'll hear my dog too. Um, and so he talks about this decisive moment being the moment and Len, you, if you know more about this, you can correct me, but the moment when all these things come together and so many like just come together to make something interesting, whether it's in your, you know, your camera frame, or it could even be in like paintings. I feel like this, the decisive moment translates to all different parts of art and, uh, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, I, that's what I want to talk about because I want to figure out what we all have to say about those things. What do you, what do you know, Len, or what, what thoughts do you have about the decisive moment? It's one of those, uh, issues or ideas or concepts that's uh, widely misunderstood and misinterpreted, um, compared to what he was talking about at the beginning. And I'm not very good at describing what he was trying to say. Um, but, uh, how it's used in in uh, popular uh, culture, uh, it's considered as this moment that you choose to to take the artwork. But he was talking about that, you know, you're bringing the composition and all of these things together, uh, and uh, and make some uh, incredibly uh, beautiful captures. I think one of the interesting ones is that that he's got that beautiful photograph of that gentleman. Um, about to um, make a big splash in a puddle as he steps across that water. And uh, it's held up as this most amazing decisive moment photograph because it's right before the, you know, the splash happens as you can see him about to head down into the water. And yet, you know, he was holding it um, up above or through a crack in a fence and uh, it was one of those uh, really lucky moments by pressing the shutter and it actually wasn't really um, that precise second when he pressed the shutter that he was timing or trying to work at in in that sense. So maybe I've got that story wrong, but I think it's quite fascinating that it has so many different concepts around it. And I don't think we need to stick with the formal one today. I think we should just uh, uh, talk about this this idea of when um, you take photographs and uh, how they, they go with. So that's my take on it, Bree. Don't get too caught up in it personally. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, Len knows I liked how we talked about before we all started recording and I'm like, I like my list. I like doing research. And through this podcast, I've really had to like, you know, relax all of that. And so sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I like want the list. (laughs) Like today, I kind of want a list, but it's all right. So Aaron, I have noticed in your photography that we're going to let Aaron talk, but I have noticed Uh in your photography that like I'll, I'll see what you are posting and sharing or what goes out in the Statesman. And I'm like, that feels like the moment, like so many times, like there's one, I know we talked about, um, you know, you're at a football game and, and there's, uh, was it rain or what was, what was going on in that one? 
um, at the Westlake football the game. The most recent? No, the the one at the end of the season that coaches last mm. game and you kind of like wiggled your way into the middle okay. of the crowd. <laughs> Tell, I, in fact, we can talk about the decisive moment, like having to do with all of that, but anyway, Tell me what your thoughts are and maybe you can, maybe I'll pull up some of your photographs and we we'll talk about well, it. <laughs> see, in the context of that photo, a lot of elements collided to, to get me a photo. If, if anyone's wondering, it's uh, here in Central Texas, there's a Westlake High School. There's a coach there that won three consecutive state championships. Um, the last state championship he won was the last game of his career. I have a photo of him hoisting the trophy. It's literally the last photo of his coaching career. And um, when uh, I got back to the photo workroom after shooting this football game, me and all the other photographers were all sharing, like just looking at each other's work and whatever. And, you know, they all had photos of him hoisting the trophy from like above the players and from like behind him and from, you know, all kinds of crazy angles. But um, I was literally trying to shove football players back because I got mobbed and I was, I was, two feet away from him trying to shoot at as wide as possible to get him hoisting the trophy. And it's probably one of my favorite photos. So in that case, you know, the, the decisive moment was not only did I, was I pointing the photo at the coach, the moment he hoisted the trophy to yell, but you know, I was the only one that was close enough to get that shot. So in, in that case, the decisive moment was, uh, just a bunch of different things colliding, being in the right place, being close enough, having the right lens, you know, paying attention when to when he was going to hoist that trophy up and yell. And, you know, that a lot went into that perfect shot, not just, not just the moment, but, you know, location, focal length, that there's a lot that goes into, you know, what you guys say is that decisive moment. And, and by the way, we don't think that there is, ha there has to be like the decisive moment. Cause I feel like in every scenario, there can be multiple moments that tell a totally different story. Have you experienced that? Absolutely. The, the decisive moment I feel is, I don't know if I like the wording of that because moment implies moment, mm -hmm. you know, they split second or whatever, but you know, from genre to genre, like the decisive moment can be several minutes or the decisive moment can be an eight thousandth of a second, right? If you're talking like sports, for example, the the best moment is when as this moment that running back's hand contacts some other guy's helmet and starts pushing him to the ground. You want those action shots, you want the the peak action, the the moment that you can see all his effort and work through through a single frame on the other extreme if you want to talk about a decisive moment is the milky way lining up with some rock formation you might have it in that spot for you know two three minutes before the moment's gone so it it's funny i, th I think decisive moment is a little misleading because a moment can vary in duration a lot <laughs> Well, that's why he was talking about composition, wasn't he? And how we line things up and, and mm -hmm. put everything together. And that, uh, but it's such a handy term for talking about this 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 moment when you do press the shutter. And we don't really have a a good other alternative to to describe that. I really love that idea that there's a, only a few controls, isn't there? It's where you stand. Uh, what sort of uh, what do you put in the frame, and that includes the angle of view. And uh, when do you press um, 
and you press the shutter and uh, uh, you might press it many, many times. Um, and uh, there's so many different answers to that. And each each answer gives us a, a, a different story, a different feeling and a, a, a different mood. Uh, it's funny how all those uh, seem to... Yeah, when it comes to capturing that moment, it's it's like the pressing the shutter button is is step like fifteen in the sequence, right? There's <laughs> there's a lot leading up to getting that quote unquote perfect moment, getting to that that shutter click and uh, that particular moment. There's this huge build up, and uh, what's happening for you at that time? As uh, you know. Let's not talk about it as a moment. Let's talk about being a, a state of mind uh, that you're in. I'm really interested in in what's happening in this preparation to to capturing this uh, this one thousandth of a second that you're talking about. If you want to talk about what I do as a job, like the preparation for that moment can often start, you know, weeks or months in advance. You know. I can't just walk up to a game and walk in and start taking photos on the field. No, you have to apply for credentials. That's that's like step one is to put an application. Then you get accepted, and then you have to get there, and you need to know the field and the time of day. There's there's a lot leading up to you know the the moment you press that shutter button, and you know the whole time I'm when I'm leading up, I'm usually just stressed. If I'm being honest, when it comes to you know <laughs> just worrying about because. Because the golden moment doesn't mean a damn thing if I miss it, right? Because that's all I'm worried about is I need to, you know, make sure I get that shot. And I need to, you know, in in the context of sports, I need to know how a team plays. I need to know what, you know, kind of plays they like to do. I need to kind of watch players and see how they're moving and whatever, just to, just to kind of pre-visualize what the decisive moment might possibly look like. And then if I capture it, awesome. If not, well, I guess I need to try for another moment. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it's, um, while you were talking about that, Aaron, I wonder if it's now you're stressed. So it's, this isn't necessarily flow. And Len and I have talked about flow before, but when, when you're in that space where you are like at like a sports event, or even like, um, you have photos of like Willie Nelson and a concert, you know, when there's a lot of action and people going Mm -hmm. on around you, I'm wondering like, like, uh, I'm just, there's all these little factors. Like you have to know your gear really well. You have to have experience, um, this is why I think your work is getting better because you have experience going, oh, that is going to be it. And so maybe um, maybe part of it is you're stressed, but also you're on like hyper alert, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I'm curious, like what is happening in your mind? Are you like seeing, like looking, 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 you know, <laughs> because I, if it were me, I would be on ultra hyper alert and almost maybe in a flow state where my, my skill level is maybe higher because to get to that place, you have to have a higher skill level, but also the, the, um, the difficulty is higher too, because you're talking about split seconds of things happening. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's funny that you talk about a kind of hyper-focused or hypersensitivity. Like you, you certainly can't be 
I guess the word I would use is scatterbrained when it comes to a lot of things where there's a lot going on. Because if you're if you're looking in every in fifty different directions trying to find a moment, you're you're not going to see anything. You're just going to see chaos in every direction. It's it's more like uh like looking through like a Where's Waldo book. You can't just like glance around the page and zigzag. You know there might be like a you're you're scanning left to right in little lines or whatever until eventually you find something and you can kind of focus when you find your Waldo, you focus on it. You know, if I'm at a Willie Nelson concert, I'm not looking at the crowds and moving back and forth or whatever. I choose an angle that I think is going to work and I wait. There's actually a lot of patience involved with the, with a lot of the work I do. And, you know, it's a necessary skill, I guess, is patience. Cause you know, you're, you're, you are looking for these moments, but they're not, you're not going to find them by, running in 50 different directions at one time. It's, it's very much a, a patience game. It's fascinating that, um, that you talk about being stressed beforehand and at, in that moment, because, uh, when we are in that situation, we have, a, obviously, uh, adrenaline and cortisol gets released into your body and, and that actually helps us focus, doesn't it? And that we end up in a hyper-focus moment where we're, we're really totally in the zone of concentrating about where I should be, where I'm pointing, um, where do I need to go next? And, you, and you're following yourself and, and you've got your eyes wandering around everywhere scanning. But actually the bit of stress there is really quite helpful to um, creating this hyper-focus, isn't it? I, I guess based on my career choice, I just seem to work incredibly well under immense pressure. Sometimes it's fabricated pressure that I put on myself, but you know, pressure does help me work a lot. <laughs> I'd love to just circle back to um, something about this that you said that you're a, uh, an introvert and uh, you you love being extroverted with your camera in this situation and work. Um, I think I understood that right. Maybe correct me if I've got it wrong. Uh, I was really interested in that because I feel that too. And I find that when I put my work hat on, and this doesn't, whether it's a creative work hat or a photography work hat or a teacher's work hat, when I actually have the responsibility for work, I can be a different person and I can put on this um, extrovert behavior and go up and walk up to anyone and say hello and, uh, you know, start organizing or asking them whether I can take a photo and all those sort of things. And then when I'm not in that role, I, I become the wallflower and I'm sitting over there in the corner um, uh, hiding away. And it actually gives me permission to um, be much more extroverted. So I was just wondering, because it sounded like such a similarity to you when you were talking about that earlier. That's, uh, that's absolutely, absolutely true. I, I certainly do not go out of my way to talk to strangers when I'm not on the clock, right? <laughs> like I said before, like Bree's pretty much like my only friend that I talk to regularly in Austin because I don't go out to meet people. Like I don't go out and talk to people. I don't actively try and pursue friendships with anyone. When I'm at work, you know, I no problem with that badge with my press badge hanging around my neck. I will go talk to anybody and everybody. And you know, talking circling back to the topic we're on, that's often like step one to finding 
the decisive moment is, you know, certainly stepping out of my comfort zone and talking to people that I normally wouldn't want to talk to and, you know, just putting me in either uncomfortable situations or new situations just mm. to get those those images I want. So it all piles up into um, uh, more intense, more intense creative moments, doesn't it? It does. You know, that's kind of funny. This has nothing to do with the decisive moment, <laughs> but I'm completely the opposite of you guys. In fact, Aaron, I don't even actually know how we're friends, except <laughs> I make steak for you sometimes because we're completely opposite. Like, in fact, when when I am like normal, I'm like, woohoo, bubbly, like everybody come and hang out with me. But when I'm doing photography, I actually just want to be by myself. I like, don't want anyone to bother me. I just want to go completely in my head, which is, I mean, maybe that's what a lot of us do, you know? Um, but anyway, just, I just think it's interesting how so many people, there's so many different kinds of personalities that do that, you know, do this work. Um, I was also thinking when it comes to this, because we've talked a lot about all these different ways that this, these moments, right. We've decided it's their moments. There's not like one ever, you know, like the one I'm wondering how that translates to different artists. Because I was thinking like, for me, if I was like writing poetry or, you know, writing something like a poem, and I've done this before, not, not a lot lately. Uh, but I might be a little stuck on some, like a part of it. And I might have an experience that triggers the creation of the finishing. And I sometimes feel like that was the moment that I needed to then do the work. And I think that there are a lot of these kinds of moments that can trigger the, the creativity or the creation part of anything that we do. So, and I was wondering how that translates. I, I'd be interested to hear from like painters or musicians, um, more musicians, you know, how that, how that would translate. Lynn, you're an, you're a, like an artist. Um, I mean, I know you could do different kinds of art. Have you seen how this could translate into that other kind of work? I think, uh, yes, of course. Uh, so much of it is is about a headspace, isn't it? And and getting to that to that right headspace, and then making decisions. There's actually a moment where you make the decision, isn't there? It sounds like the decisive moment isn't necessarily the final place. It could be a step along the way. Yes, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, you, you you come to terms with it and you go, oh, I need to be, or in your case, standing over there, or I need to change my lens. Um, in, in a painter's case, it might be, I want to try this color. And uh, you, you start adding and you start adding something and it might work and it might not work and then there's that other decision making do I continue with it or step away and go in a different direction so it could be considered that there's a whole series of them one after the other of these decisions that we have to go through to to get to the to these artworks and whether the artworks is a is a performance or a painting or a drawing or a, a photograph it, that doesn't really matter. The, the, there's so many similarities in, in the way that we work. And I think, interestingly, our own mental state 
will produce different artworks at different times, even with the same in, in it. Like it's impossible to have the same ingredients, but us as being an integral part of that process, um, being in a different state will actually change what we would do. So what I would do today would be different to what I would do tomorrow, given the same set of situations. I, I find that fascinating. I do too. I think that's super interesting <laughs> because I have seen how my mood affects me. Um, I was also thinking with this decision-making that like Aaron, let's, I want to, I just want to pull, I'm going to pull up on my phone actually. Um, when, when I do all the, the posting of this, so I'll find, uh, I'll find some of these images that we're talking about and make sure that we share them. Um, Aaron, there's one back in, and uh, you and I had a conversation about this. It's, it's this pregnant girl and she remember, do you remember what it says? I know which photo you're talking about. Uh, so for context, uh, I was at a pro abortion rights rally, just a, you know, a, a rally to people were protesting. And uh, this woman was, you know, several months pregnant. She had a good size belly on her so she was you know i would say between seven and nine months but uh she had my body my choice written on her stomach um is that the one you're talking about brie yes it is yeah yeah this one and i remember you telling me because i was asking you oh my goodness was she just like that and you told me no i i asked her to i asked her to do that and I think a lot of times when we talk about, like in photography, we talk about the decisive moment. It's when all of the elements externally line up, but I feel like this is, this is it. You know, this is partly what we're talking about is making a decision about that, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess in the definition of decisive moment, you know, the, the key word there is decisive, right? I guess, like we said, the decisive moment isn't necessarily the result. It could be in this case, choosing to talk to this woman, asking her to do this pose, the decision to talk to her and the decision to instruct her on how to pose for that photo, you know, that was, that was a decisive moment that made the frame. You know, I, I guess coming into this, I was almost thinking of the decisive moment again as like a, an end goal, like a physical photo or painting or whatever, but you know, it's, it's certainly more of a step in the process towards getting a final product or final image or painting or whatever it may be. Yeah. I think that image tells a really big story and um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I have an interesting question for you, um, Aaron, and that's about how much of you and your um, beliefs and views and politics and all of that, how much of you actually comes through in your work, do you think? Like you just said, oh, I, I, got to, I asked her to pose in a particular manner. So that's, a, that's what triggered that question. In, in that particular case, it is purely an aesthetic thing. You know, being a photojournalist, I like to think that you could look at all the work I've produced as a photojournalist and you cannot pinpoint where I stand on any particular topic. That is my personal goal, you know. When it, when it comes to being a photojournalist, I try to to keep myself out of my work as as much as possible. You know, I, I I if I can look at my work and you can clearly figure out where I stand on certain issues or topics, I I think I would need 
to improve as a journalist because I do try to pr- approach everything from a totally neutral ground or at the very least, you know, avoid my personal beliefs or politics or anything showing up in my work. <laughs> it's interesting because we talk about having, you know, putting ourselves into our art and this is a, and I can, I can attest that he, he definitely, I've seen a lot of his work and it's not one way or the other for sure. Um, and I do think that's interesting that that is your goal to be, to have neutrality, right? Mm-hmm. It's because it's purely about, it's purely about what the story and, and what's happening. And it's not necessarily that I'm trying to be, neutral i don't know if i would word it that way but uh mm. you know even a, every journalist on the planet has beliefs and biases and political beliefs but you know i in in my opinion the good ones you can't figure out what those are through their work and that's that's how i see it <laughs> Mm. I'm um I'm actually giving a presentation later today and it's on windows and mirrors that minor white concept about you know how much of the work is a mirror back uh, about who you are as yourself uh, and I also think in there is a mirror for the viewer as well but that's another whole thing uh, and then how much of it is a window out into the other the rest of the world and uh, I think it's impossible not to be involved in your work at all um, and that it's a goal, but it's a something that, as I even as I look through your work, I can see you in it, and I, I get a sense of what sort of person you are um, from looking at the work. Now, maybe I'm imagining that, uh, <laughs> and I also understand that as a journalist, you, you're you're trying to uh, record, to document, to share, to 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 tell the truth, um, uh, but. Uh, truth is so subjective, isn't it? Like uh, the three of us, we're all here together and each of us will have our own little truth and we actually all have a different memory of what happened and a different story and uh, we'll see it all through our own rose-coloured glasses. And it's a really interesting and fascinating component of photography, isn't it? And today photography still even though it's sort of failing at this point in some ways, but uh, it's still held up as a, the medium of truth, isn't it? And truth-telling as, as the storyteller. Yeah, that's interesting because that is changing, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of discussion in our community about <laughs> what is real and what is not when it comes to photography. And in fact, this has nothing to do with the decisive moment. However, maybe it does. <laughs> Len likes it when I throw these things out. Uh, so a friend of mine just did um, just uh, posted a YouTube video all about a YouTube video all about AI and how that's changing. Mm-hmm. And that is, it's based on reality, but nothing about it is real, right? And the, I I just think that's interesting. So when we go to those places, you know, then truth becomes absolutely subjective <laughs> at that point. <laughs> Did I just stop the conversation <laughs> talking about AI work? <laughs> By the way, 
because this is fun. Um, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron and I are, we're, we're planning a trip with some other friends, uh, <laughs> we're planning a photography trip. So he came over to test out some things, but he's actually in my house, in my husband's office with, um, our other equipment. So, <laughs> so, so I'm in one space and he's in another space yes. and Len is all the way in Australia. So anyway, I just wanted to say that cause I think it's actually kind of fun. <laughs> Aaron, I want to ask another question in that before was it before air we were talking about um uh, how many photographs you're taking uh, at the moment and uh, Bree's been saying how how well how much your work is changing and growing and um uh, over that time and I wanted to clarify those things and talk about them what about them exactly well listen wait 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 hang on hang on hang on I tell you all the time that your work is getting better and you're like, I don't know. And in fact, you were like, oh, it's just a quantity. It's just a quantity thing. So I want to know for real, <laughs> I want to know for real, like you take, you know, you make a lot of images. You can share how many you've done for work. And if you truly see your work improving. Uh, I sure hope so. Over time. You know, right, right now I've. As things are going, you are never, never going to get me to admit down. that I think I'm doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Aaron, we've got two of us here. We're going to gang up on you. And uh, okay. we're going we're to tell you quite straight out your work is improving and it's improving in leaps and bounds. And it's just absolutely totally. amazing what you're doing at the moment. And it's a stunning, stunning work. And the reason I was asking that question is because I think throughput how much you're actually outdoing your art has a huge impact on how well you do it. And uh, uh, the improvement that you're showing, uh, you know, in my opinion, is because you're outdoing it every single day, taking as many possible photographs uh, and working so hard at it. You're living, breathing, um, totally immersed in it. And I think that's a absolutely incredible um, thing. And, and to see it in your work, like it's obvious to us to wake up <laughs> and, and uh, you know, your work is improving and it's amazing. I think your work's stunning. I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> I do appreciate that. Just to, for, <laughs> for some quick context, I, I do take about 150, I'm, I'm going to be averaging, you know, 150 to 200,000 frames a year at this point. And uh, back to that, our talk about the decisive moment, you know, that number would be a lot lower if I didn't decide to get out of bed on days I didn't want to get out of bed. For example, some days my decisive moment is <laughs> choosing to get out of bed, right? And I'm sure you know exactly what that's like. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Oh, we all, but we all have those moments, you know, like who, you know, sometimes we just don't feel like it. Actually, I was going to ask you a question along those lines. Has there ever been a time that you, and I know the, the journalistic work you do is like all on assignment, but, um, has there been a time that you've gone out on assignment or whatever, you know, for work to do this and you don't feel like it's coming, you don't feel like you're getting it pretty much like at least once a week, you know? 
sometimes I get to a place for whatever it may be. It could be a political rally. It could be, you know, covering the legislature, a concert, whatever. And I could just be, you know, completely out of the groove, struggling to create photos. Like there, there are times where I walk around places muttering to myself, one more photo, one more photo, one more photo. And, uh, you know, in, in that context, sometimes the, I guess the decisive moment is the moment it clicks and you get into your groove and you, and stuff starts working. Right. You know, for me, sometimes that's if, if I'm at an event and I just can't seem to make a photo, like sometimes that first frame I take good or bad is like step one towards a successful day, you know, just deciding to take a photo, whether I like it or not, you know, cause you know, the, for whatever reason, for me, the first frame is always the hardest one for me to take. And the, the second I get that out of the way, you know, I'll either fall into the groove I, or I won't. But at least, you know, it's, it's a start. So have you got into the habit of just taking that first photo, knowing that it's going to be no good? Yep. Sometimes it's, I, I might just dumb it down to the simplest thing i'm looking for you know a really basic composition what it doesn't have to be fancy it just you know something to get me started and at the very least it's, it's a good reference like okay my first photo is out of the way i look at it i'm like okay i don't like it but maybe i would like it if i did this and you know that it's it's at the very least my step one towards a productive day mm. i was thinking I was wondering if, um, this is going to be totally meta. Okay. So, so I was wondering if you ever were somewhere and you didn't feel like it, right? Like you were having just one of those like off days and then you made an image or a, or a set of them that you were like, yes, this is it. Like, meaning maybe these are some, you know, just like a set of decisive moments or something that you knew was going to be really great. And then maybe that is the decisive moment. See what I'm saying? Strangely enough, <laughs> some of my better work <laughs> is often produced on days where I just do, I want nothing to do with a camera. I do not want to be there. I don't, you know, I, you know, woke up on the wrong side of the bed or, you know, the day's not going well. An example would be a, uh, a young lady named Margo that I photographed for the Ed Los Muertos last year. Um, literally created five images that day because I was just not feeling it. And, you know, happened to run into her, asked her to pose for me and got probably my favorite portrait I've ever taken, even though I absolutely- And it's mine too. I just, you know, <laughs> I absolutely didn't want to be there, but that's another decisive moment was just seeing her and deciding to approach her and talk to her and ask her to take her photo. You know, that's, that, that's all it took for me to go from, you know, today sucks. This is boring. Why, why am I here? I don't want to be here to- Damn, I just got the best portrait I've ever taken. <laughs> Don't we do this to ourselves a lot as artists? Kind of, you know, we can't all have those days where we're super motivated and energized and all that stuff. <laughs> I mean, I have my caffeine right here, and I know Aaron has his too, but we can't all have those. That's right. Here, I'll do mine too. So um, we can't all have those days where we're you know, just exuberant and positive. And, you know, there are going to be those days that we've planned to do what or do whatever creating we're going to do. And it doesn't feel great. And we're really not interested in doing it. And we go and do it anyway. And sometimes we come away like your Margot, by the way, it's a gorgeous image. 
we'll share that one. Can we share that one, by the way? We can share that one, right? That, one, okay. that one's mine. And, yeah, okay. All right. It's public on Instagram. So, <laughs> um, and so sometimes we're going to come away with a beautiful image of Margot on, you know, de los muertos. Sorry, my Spanish is bad right now. Um, and some days we're not going to, ha- we're not going to be able to create anything, but I think it is important to go out and be able to just do what we say we're going to do anyway. It's often seen as the difference between a professional and an amateur is a professional has to show up and start and, and, and get into gear and, and do it. Whereas an amateur actually has the choice of rolling back over and shutting their eyes and <laughs> going back to sleep. And one of my favorite quotes in this is uh, Picasso actually. And he says, uh, the hardest thing about creativity is showing up every day for work or to paint. Um, to be creative and the showing up part when um, it's not your job uh, and and you have to clock in and all those sort of things can be an incredibly hard part um, of of the day and then once you get there once you do show up and you take that first um, step and in your case you're talking about pressing the shutter and taking that first photo uh, things start to unfold and you can move yourself into um, a, a better place and uh, in the, into that creative space. And as a professional, you know that and you go, right, okay, I'm just going to go and start. And, and you get into it much quicker. And then as a someone that's choosing to be there, uh, again, there's these all these little decisive moments all the way up to, yeah, I'm actually going to start taking taking that first photo, taking that first frame. I had it yesterday, actually. I was teaching and we were, I was teaching people abstract art and how to make abstract photographs. And uh, we went outside with our cameras and there was this blockage like, well, what are we going to do here? And uh, as soon as you actually, I, like one of the ways I teach is I buy demonstration and diving in and come on, oh, let's, what about if we take a photo of this and that and then try and put them together and see what happens? And the actual act of doing creates the momentum that turns into the magical creativity. And within half an hour, we were standing, we hadn't moved more than 10 meters from where we sort of think, oh, well, what's here to photograph? And we hadn't moved more than 10 meters. And yet we'd found a push bike and we'd been photographing that and then some plants and a tree and some power, cars, et cetera, et cetera. And we were totally immersed and we didn't leave there for an hour and a half. But we were blocked at the beginning, like, oh, it's too hard. Um, We can't get there. (laughs) I want to pop in for a second as with my little coachy hat on here, (laughs) because one of the things that I know, um, and I, you know, I, I coach myself around this too, is maybe not naturally, but I think when we're starting there's going to naturally be some resistance to some things and some thoughts we have in our heads. Like, I don't know, how is this going to turn out? I'm not sure. You know, um, I'm, I'm, I, I, maybe we have all kinds of stuff. Like, I don't think I'm good enough to do this work. I'm stressed, whatever, whatever is swirling around in our heads. There's, there's always going to be just a little resistance. And this happens for me a lot that I I'll, I'll go to do something like it could be, I'm starting a trip. 
I know, I know that when I go to a place like White Sands, I even the place I love, I pull up and I'm like, why am I here? <laughs> what am I doing? And I know I'm just naturally going to feel some resistance. And I think that's totally fine. I think it's, I, I think it's important to just say, yeah, I'm feeling some resistance about this right now. And I'm just going to start, I'm going to be okay. Uh, you know, experiencing that. And then I'm just going to go to work. Like Picasso said, like you mm. said, Lynn, I, I think when we think that there's something wrong because we feel the resistance, that's where we, that's where we create some problems for our ourselves. But I think just recognizing that like there is going to be some resistance. We do have to decide to take that first photo, Aaron. Right. And then just keep, you know, moving forward because it does get easier. And that, that certainly makes me wonder, like, is, is there, uh, especially in terms of the creative process, is there truly a decisive moment or would you consider it more of a series of decisive moments leading up to some final thing? I mean, obviously it's a series. <laughs> I mean, when you're looking at a photograph or a painting or whatever it is that was created, you can go, oh, at that time, there was this moment that helped me create that. Right. Um, but maybe there are multiples of those. Like I think even in my life, like there's no way, how did I end up in this room talking on this microphone to you two fabulous people on this podcast. I mean, how many moments did I have to have to get, like, did we all have to have to get to this place? I mean, think about it. Like all the little things I had to line up so that we all three were here together, you know? And, and I think it's so, it's so fascinating to think about that when we make decisions, these are, these can sometimes be little or they can be big. Like these, these things, you know, sometimes they just matter. And it's so fascinating to think about how these things all come together to, to do that. Mm. It's awesome. Actually. That's one of the reasons why we always talk about flow. We talk about, uh, in creativity as being in a mind state rather than, um, decision after decision after decision and, and focusing on those. But what we're trying to get into is this um, state where you're producing lots and lots of work and, and it's, it's flowing out of you. And I love that metaphor for doing that. I do too. And I love thinking about the decisions I've made to get me to that place where I can experience that or where, can, where I can really enjoy my creative work, you know? And, um, I actually was going to talk about maybe like, what do you do when you go to like, Aaron, you talk about a lot of your work is on assignment, but do you ever go just downtown and walk around? I can't, <laughs> I don't necessarily see you doing that, but maybe. <laughs> Sometimes it's, uh, you know, I, pitch an idea or you know if if there's nothing on our list of things to do for the day you know sometimes it's just go run around and look for something interesting or try and find some you know it's essentially called feature hunting we're looking some kind of little feature or whatever and we're we're just pretty often just running around trying to find something interesting right it's not always you know not all of our work is assigned to us yeah you know, there there is a lot of initiative to go out and look for stuff because it's a job. Yeah. And find, go to find those things. Ooh, I like the, I like the idea of a hunt. You're kind of, I it's mean, like a treasure hunt. <laughs> I mean, every photographic outing is a treasure hunt. Mm. Like, 
when you um, get home or back to office with all these um, amazing images, is that also a treasure hunt going through them? Uh, yeah, because that's when you find out that there's a lot of trash that you thought was treasure. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> and what about the ones? Did you have? Do you have ones that you think are treasure? Um, that you think are trash, sorry, and they turn out to be treasure. Oh, absolutely! Every time I shoot a sporting event, for example, I, I might shoot a series, you know, of a, someone running a, a running back running through a line or soccer players, whatever. I might, you know, I'm shooting so fast, I don't have time to process what's being captured, right? So, you know, when it comes to sports, a lot of the times I go back to the workroom, like totally oblivious to whatever I just shot because I have no idea what could be on the card. Because, you know, I just can't process the photos fast enough. So I would think of it as almost like panhandling for gold, right? You're, mm-hmm. you, you grab your pile of dirt and rocks, whatever, and then you're sifting through it when you get back. You don't know that there's gold in there, but there is gold in there. Or maybe there's not. And is it um, your decision or is it also um, the editors have a, um, a part of the decision-making process? So when it comes to what I turn in, it's purely my decision. But then, you know, it gets narrowed down further if, if for example, in print, you know, I, if I go to a sporting event and turn in, you know, 100 photos, they're not going to print 100 photos in the paper. They might use one or two. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's funny that when you, when you talk about that final image that made it in the paper, there, there's 500 moments and, you know, half a dozen people that between when the photo is taken and when it gets to print, right? <laughs> It's quite a huge um, process. What I'm, what I'm, what's floating through my mind right now is to ask you because you have uh, the most incredible, beautiful landscape photography, and my passion for trees is, is sparked looking at some of your work too, and <laughs> uh, also my um, my new interest in astrophotography that I haven't quite materialised yet, uh, and I want to put those two together: trees and astro, obviously. Um, really? Yeah, that's in my future Ooh. one day. All right, um, I'm interested. Well, these things that we're talking about in your creative business life as an employee, as a photojournalist out on the streets and, and working that way, how do these translate across to this other part of you that's doing this uh, beautiful, absolutely beautiful creative work that's just for you, for your own pleasure? Strangely enough, I think the two have a lot of similarities. You know, there is a lot of passion. There's a lot of hard work behind them. I do enjoy it, but I I would imagine that my work as a photojournalist, it's just you know, I'm at a thousand miles an hour at all times. And then when it comes to my personal work, it's like a lazy walk, I guess, in, in terms of pace. But uh, you know, my my personal work is just that. It's it's very personal. It's you know, I every time I take a frame, it's because I wanted to and because. I enjoyed it, not because I needed to at any point. Mm. I'll attest to that. He's very deliberate in what he does. And I would say that you do very limited photography. Like I know we went, yeah, we went to the, we went to East Texas and I had, I don't know how many. And you were like, oh, I only have this many. I'm like, how do you even make a photograph if you only have this many photos? <laughs> <laughs> because he's very deliberate and I love that. Even uh like amongst my coworkers and I like by comparison like you you think 150,000 frames a year and you're like that's a lot of photos but you know I've worked alongside my coworkers and it's like oh this football game uh I shot 
you know, 1700 frames over the day. And my, one of my coworkers is like, oh, well I shot 9,000. Like even amongst my coworkers who are also in this fast paced field shoot considerably more than I do. And, you know, it's, when it comes to my personal work, the main difference is I like to really work slow. Even uh, my my most recent purchase, as far as gear acquisition goes, was a Fuji medium format. It, it shoots a whopping like 0.95 frames per second. You know, I <laughs> I have it on single shot mode because there's no reason to have it in burst mode because it's so slow. But I just enjoy working very slow when it comes to my personal work. I think I'm seeing a trend here that, um, you know, I like to, I like, I like to connect things and figure out how I can replicate, you know, doing this work. And it seems to me that one of the qualities that we want to have when we're trying to achieve, you know, these decisive moments in our work is just patience, being able to wait setting ourselves up ahead of time, right? Like the technical skills, maybe being in the, in, and we don't really know if we're in the right place at, at the right time until it happens. Right. But putting ourselves in a certain situation that maybe we feel works and then just having the patience. I know you mentioned that early on, Aaron, that, uh, you know, just waiting instead of running around, just waiting and being patient and then, and just noticing and what's the difference? Like when you're there and you're waiting, how do you know when just to like press that button or to, you know, if I, how do you know? If I knew when to press the button every time I would be way more famous than I am now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. That's not... Fame no, like, has got nothing to do with how your quality well, of your work is. Fa- so let's, famous. Let's separate I, I would, those two out. I would be much. Quote, I, I would think that the quality of my work would be much higher if I knew when <laughs> the perfect time to press the f- shutter button was every single time. Well, it's, I don't see that. I see really beautiful work, and I think it's gorgeous. And um, people that are famous are, are really good marketers. That's true. I retract my Bottom use line. of the word famous. <laughs> Okay. Well, he does. He does take a lot of photos of. (laughs) He does take a lot of photos of Willie Nelson, so maybe some of that (laughs) fame will rub off on you. (laughs) Your work is as good as anyone else's out there, and it's absolutely stunning. And so, um, you've got to stop um, comparing and actually, because you say you make it for yourself. So that's a really special thing. I'm I'm actually staring at um, three sets of triptychs of trees on your um, Ah, Instagram thing. And uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, what led you to making triptychs and putting these ones together? And how do you decide which ones to put together? So I believe you're... How do you decide? I think you're (laughs) referencing uh, our last trip to Caddo Lake. Caddo Lake? Caddo. Yes. Sorry, Caddo. Um, We were out there and for some reason we got back after our first day of shooting and we were, you know, we're, we're passing each other's cameras around and looking at each other's frames. And, uh, our friend Elise Bender was like, Oh, you shot a lot of like nice tight shots of trees. She's like, why don't you just, and she kind of like, Oh, why don't you do like a series of like 
it's just like all these trees have so much character. Like you should just do a series of images, like the characters avocado or, you know, something along those lines. Like, you know what? I could do a series of tree portraits that, that works for me. You know, that's simple. That's, I believe what you're referencing is those sets of images was uh, just mm-hmm. doing tree portraits, I guess is the way to put it very much like Brie likes her rocks. I, I like interesting trees, I guess in some cases, even though I grew up in a desert where there were no trees, um, I do like interesting trees. And he asked, you know, how do you pick which ones to include in these, you know, it's kind of like a, I was trying to choose photos that kind of were similar to each other, I guess, in a way, or that and I, I don't know how to describe it, but you know, I, I pair these trees up and it's some of it's like, okay, these two don't work side by side or something. It's just something about the, the, the three sets or, or the three trees in each of those little things that just, they seemed to look good together. And I, I wish I could explain why. <laughs> I, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, this work looks a lot it looks very similar to some of your to some of your other work because i've seen you do a lot of portraits well they're taken and by the same person so it's no well yeah <laughs> of course but i'm just saying like just because you know just because there's landscape and then the other you know your other subjects are people there's a lot of similarities here right and i think that's interesting to lean into there are a lot what of similarities love and what we are good at yeah. Even in uh, even in process, like uh, for example, we were we were just talking about patience. If I'm shooting the portrait of a tree, for example, I'm waiting for the right light, or maybe for some fog to clear, or you know, if there's you know on on Kato, if there's a boat passing by, I need to wait for the boat to pass. Same thing. If I'm shooting a press conference, I'm standing in one spot, waiting for a particular facial expression or for some kind of hand movement or something, you know it's very much the same process. And I guess, cause it's just the way I shoot. It's not surprising that, you know, a portrait of people might be very similar to a portrait of some trees. It's a beautiful metaphor to, to think about tree photography as portraiture. Uh, and particularly I could do a lot of flowers. I think of it the same way. Um, landscape and rocks can fit into that. So it's a, I think that's an incredibly beautiful metaphor. To, to frame them about that. And what you're describing as a process is like setting yourself up with the object, the subject and the background and, and framing that all up and then waiting for all the conditions to be right. When, and that's when you take that, um, that photograph. It's interesting because that's a technique that a lot of street photographers use as well. And as a landscape photographer, I use that too. Like, where do I go? Uh, to set up the right background for for the subject that I'm actually going to be working with. And then I wait uh, in the same way. And it's like hunting, that idea that you're almost in from a hide <laughs> rather than wandering around. But sometimes I also like to just wander and see what I come across. Another little point there is uh, a really beautiful metaphor about putting works together is conversations and storytelling. And I think when you put these together, the the portraits of each of the trees that you've got here, and I, they start having a conversation with each other uh, about hue, 
So sometimes you use a, a similar color across the three frames to tie them together. And sometimes it's about mood or a, the, a tonal arrangement. So you use a similar tonal arrangement, but sometimes you use a contrasting one as well. What you're doing, in my opinion, is that you're setting up conversations in storytelling. And it's really beautiful. And it is so, so similar to being a journalist and an artist. I, I don't really think we should be drawing demarcation lines in that because I think what we've got here, we're looking at really beautiful art, um, no matter what it is, a portraitist, uh, reporting, and trees, nature. Beautiful. It is beautiful. Well, I think, Erin, is there anything else that you want to add? I think we're, I feel like, I think a lot, talk about the decisive moment when Lynn and I are recording. It's like all of a sudden a feeling I have like, okay, the conversation, it's, it feels full, right? Well, I I, (laughs) I don't know if you feel like that. I think we've come to the conclusion that there is very rarely a decisive singular moment. It's often a, uh, a collection of decisive moments leading to the creation of something, whatever that may be, you know, as a painter, as a photographer, even as a writer, you know, at the, at the very least, I think uh, the listeners will now be incredibly confused about what exactly a decisive moment is. hundred <laughs> percent. Sorry, folks. <laughs> no, seriously. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation. I <laughs> I really, I enjoyed kind of picking it apart because this is not, um, a, you know, a big conversation that I've had before, but it's been so interesting to hear from you as someone who, you know, is a photojournalist and does this day after day after day and is out, you know, out there and experiencing all of these things. And I think it's interesting for us as artists to consider how all of our decisions impact our art in, in such different ways and how those decisions contribute to like what, to what we create. And, um, I, I just think it's, I personally think it's fascinating to think about, and I really appreciate Aaron that you, you know, that you came on and shared this time with us. Really beautiful work. Thanks for letting us compliment you like crazy. (laughs) I don't know if I let you, but (laughs) (laughs) no, we force it upon you. It's all good. Or saying I let you would imply that I had a choice in the matter. <laughs> right. Oh, that's why we're having an affair. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's it's very, right. very complex <laughs> and uh, so hard to describe uh, adequately. And, uh, you know, I think we've actually had quite a, a really good dis- discussion about the decisive moment and to... Just to remind you that uh, everybody that Carter Bresson was talking about composition and bringing all these elements together and lining them all up and uh, getting this sense that it feels just right in, in this balance. And we actually talked about that uh, under everything there. And we've also talked about when we press the shutter, you know, and those sort of things as well. And it's been so, so lovely to talk to you and uh, immerse ourselves in your work. I've really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, thank you for adding so much uh, more understanding to the process of creativity. On that note, we all need to say goodbye. It's uh, nice to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you for joining us in our creative affair. If you love the passion we bring to this creative content, Please support the podcast by sharing with a friend, subscribing, 
and leaving us a review. To find out more about Bree's work, including her gorgeous photography and mentoring in her Creative Confidence Group Coaching Program, please visit her at creativemindscoach.com. If you'd like to learn more about creative photography, you can find me at lenmetcalf.com, where you can find links to my photography school, videos and publications. I would so love you to sign up to my newsletter. Well, until next time, we hope you enjoy your creative life. It's time to say goodbye for now. Goodbye.